In 2019, an ad appeared on television. And you might think that's not the craziest thing that's ever happened. But it quickly began to circulate through YouTube, through the internet, anywhere that hosts videos, really. Viral for all the wrong reasons. The ad begins with a quote. Women hold just 10% of all patented inventions. Fortunately, most young girls are unaware of that fact. The ad then proceeds to show young girls and women alike building different technologies, while the voiceover talks about how brilliant female minds are behind many of the technologies that we love today. And if the ad had stopped here, it would have been a really cool ad for women in STEM. But at the end of the ad, one of them walks up to a couch and finds a package. She says, what is this? Opens it and reveals a game of Monopoly? Specifically, a new version of the game called Miss Monopoly. A quote pops up on screen that says, that's why we created Monopoly. Uh, And then the ad just ends. So what is Miss Monopoly? Honestly, this sounds like something out of Solar Opposites. Hold on to your horses. It is a version of the game that claims to focus on, quote, empowering women. And the rules are kind of slay, okay? In this universe, female (laughs) players get more money than male players. They collect $240 for passing go rather than the usual $200. Instead of property, players purchase things created by women, like Wi-Fi, solar heating, and chocolate chip cookies. The ad was met with huge criticism across the internet. Memes focused on everything from the cynical attempt by a corporation to appeal to women to the ad not even bothering to recognize a woman by the name of Lizzie McGee. You might be like, well, the ad sounds really stupid, but uh, where did Lizzie McGee come in? Like, why are we talking about Lizzie McGee? Well, she's part of the cruelest irony of Miss Monopoly even existing in the first place. Lizzie McGee created the game of Monopoly, never got credit for it, and barely got paid. So today, alongside all of you guys, we're going to be diving deep into the most burning questions around this story. Who is the woman who invented Monopoly? And why has she essentially been written out of history in favor of a man who never invented the game to begin with? Welcome to Internet Urban Legends, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Loie, your friendly neighborhood true believer. When I play Monopoly, my go-to is the little Scottish dog. My little guy, my little guy. What's yours, Ellie? I am Ellie, or Eleanor, your stubborn skeptic. To be completely honest with you, I am more of a life fan <laughs> as far as um, <gasps> really? financial simulator games go. Monopoly was just, uh, it was always a little bit too hard for me. Together, we are the Gruesome Twosome, and this is Internet Urban Legends, where we dive deep into the darkest corners of the internet. We might find the answers we're looking for. We might scare ourselves into staying up all night. We might end up flat broke. But one thing is for sure, we are glad (laughs) to have you guys along for the ride. Honestly, for this episode specifically, Mm -hmm. I'm like truly, in the least corny, cringy way, excited to shed light on this because it's a crazy story. It's like tragic that we don't know about this and that the world does not know the true story of the invention of Monopoly. It's crazier than you could ever think for the invention of a board game. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Before we talk about the woman who created the game of Monopoly in the first place, let's talk about the popular story that has surrounded the creation of Monopoly for decades. Sometimes it's even tucked into the game's box alongside the fake cash and that cute little dog piece that I love so much. And the story goes like this. An unemployed man named Charles Darrow dreamed up the game of Monopoly back in the 1930s. He sold his game idea, becoming a millionaire in the process, because this big, inventive man saved himself as well as the Parker Brothers, the beloved New England board game maker that was facing bankruptcy at the time, from the brink of destruction. It's this incredible, super inspiring story about pulling yourself up from your bootstraps, making yourself a legend, and doing it all by believing in yourself, blah, 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 blah. That's not how it freaking happened. That's not how it happened at all. Because it turns out that Monopoly's origins certainly do not start with a man named Charles Darrow in the 1930s. They start decades before with a progressive woman by the name of Elizabeth McGee. Elizabeth, or Lizzie McGee, was born in Macomb, Illinois in 1866, which was the year after the end of the Civil War and the assassination of President Lincoln. According to a 2015 New York Times article, Lizzie's father was a slavery abolitionist and had actually worked with the then-president candidate Abraham Lincoln back in the late 1850s. Now, Lizzie learned a lot about the world from her father, who believed in something that I had never heard of called Georgism. Now, Georgism, named after somebody named Henry George, yes, is grounded in the idea that all taxes should be replaced with just one single tax on property. Again, founded by a man named Henry George, his, I guess, financial theory was more original and creative than his naming prowess. His (laughs) ideas were super popular with the political left in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And his work helped draw people into the growing political left of the era. One of those people was, of course, Lizzie. Lizzie had big dreams for herself. She was known as a hyper-creative person who wrote short stories or essays about politics on her typewriter every night. She was also part of Washington's theater scene, where she performed on stage and earned a lot of praise for comedic roles. But mostly, Lizzie spent her time drawing and redrawing, thinking and rethinking a board game that she wanted to be based on the teachings of Georgism. She finished this game in 1903 and applied for a patent that very same year. Fun fact, by the way, at this time, less than 1% of patent holders were women. So the fact that Lizzie herself was a patent holder is incredible and literally unheard of for the time. Board games were the hot new thing in America and had started to become a common form of entertainment for middle-class families. And Lizzie had a game that she wanted people to learn from. It was called The Landlord's Game and was meant as a protest piece against the big monopolists of her time, people like Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller. Unique for its time, The Landlord's Game had two sets of rules. One set of rules was called the Anti-Monopolist Set, where all the players were rewarded whenever wealth was created. The other one was the Monopolist Set, 
where the goal was to create monopolies and crush opponents. If the second sounds familiar, that's because it's basically the game of Monopoly. Lizzie's game wasn't a hit at first, but it spread across the northeastern United States, kind of becoming a bit of a cult sensation in the people that did play it. So not like widespread, but the people who did play it were like, wow, this is really cool. It was played at several college campuses, including Harvard and Columbia. There was also a small community in Atlantic City who really loved this game and even added the names of their own neighborhood properties to the board. Little did Lizzie know that it was this very group who would help to transform the landlord's game into the very monopoly that we know today, and that it would also cause Lizzie herself to fade into the background of history. It's crazy to consider that like a board game was the hot new thing on college campuses, right? Especially now when we're like all on our phones. A purer like, time, a literal purer time. <laughs> An actual purer time. And how exciting was that for Lizzie? Like what a monumental achievement. Number one, she's a patent holder. That's literally unheard of at this point in time. But number two, like, no, the game's not like taking off. But I think it's clear she had a pretty heavy opinion on politics that did seem to make its way into this game. I don't think she was ever motivated by money or this becoming like some big, big time seller. I think the fact that she had a dedicated group of people probably around her that were playing this game and like, you know, really buying into her political theories, her financial ideas was probably so rewarding. And I imagine pretty surreal at the time, especially for a woman. I completely agree. Lizzie just seems like a really cool person also. Like, can we just say that? She had a lot of things under her belt, of course, because uh, number one, when you're a woman in the 1800s, you can do a bajillion things and nobody really cares because you're a woman. But also like, she just sounds like this really cool person. And I think that the idea of the landlord's game, again, we're gonna talk about like the original one. It's so much better than Monopoly, dude. It's so much better than Monopoly. If we played the original landlord's game, I don't know if the game of life would make it. Maybe it would no longer be the favorite. I wonder if we'll ever see like a current iteration. Does somebody have the right, does Lizzie's estate? I mean, we'll get into it. But like, can someone make this happen, please? Up next, the true story of how we ended up with the Monopoly game that we all know and love, and maybe by the end of this story, kinda hate. They're responsible for some of the most horrifying acts of violence ever known. Men and women who went to lethal extremes. But why? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, follow the life and crimes of an actual murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers examines the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Listen now and catch our special series on manhunts, where we follow the processes police use as they hunt for murderers in treacherous terrains and unusual locations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. to 
set the scene. One night in late 1932, a couple from Atlantic City were planning a game night at home. Now, this couple was businessman Charles Todd and his wife, Olive. They invited their friends, Charles and Esther Darrow, to come over and play this real estate board game they had recently picked up. The Todds were so stoked that the Darrows really seemed to be having fun. The Darrows even said out loud like that they just loved this game. It was the coolest thing they'd ever played. In fact, they loved the game so much that Charles Todd was like, you guys want a copy? And he made them a custom set of their own, teaching them some of the more advanced rules of the game in the process. As far as they knew, this game didn't really have an official name. It wasn't sold in a box, but passed around from friend to friend. And everybody called it the Monopoly game. One day, Charles Darrow, who was unemployed because of the Great Depression, asked Charles Todd for a written copy of the rules. Now, Charles Todd thought that was weird because he had literally just explained the rules to Darrow. But he did it anyway, writing out the rules as he knew them and giving him a copy. What Charles Todd didn't know was that Darrow took all of these ideas and went to the board game company Parker Brothers with a pitch for a brand new board game called Monopoly. The key difference between his game and the landlord's game, it could only be played via the Monopoly route. Now, this was important to the story. Charles Darrow told Parker Brothers he came up with the idea for the game completely on his own. He wrote Lizzie out of the story entirely, it goes beyond strange. It is just simply untrue. He claims to be mm -hmm. the inventor of the game. But before this, he was a door-to-door -door heater salesman. He had no board game creating experience, little to no interest as far as we know in politics. And as we know, this game was just, it was created by Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Parker Brothers didn't care. They loved Charles Darrow's pitch. And in 1935, Parker Brothers started selling Monopoly marketing it with the inspiring story of how a struggling salesman named Charles Darrow created the game in his basement to support his family during the Depression. Within the year, 20,000 sets of the game were being produced every single week. Like, it was massive. It was a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Monopoly became the best-selling board game in America, making Charles Darrow the very first millionaire game designer in history. Oh, wow. A man is a millionaire because he ripped off the idea of a woman, literally ripped off her entire concept. And once again, this was not like, it wasn't as if Charles Darrow was pulling a fast one over on anyone. Because you see, the Parker brothers discovered fairly early on that Charles Darrow really did not invent Monopoly. They were wise to the fact that he had just like full on lied to them pretty quickly. They learned that he modified a version of another game taught to him by others, basically just cutting out the anti-monopoly rules altogether. After an investigation, they discovered the creator of the original game, Lizzie McGee. So in 1935, the very same year that Parker Brothers bought the game from Charles, the company reached out to Lizzie McGee and they were like, hey, we've heard of your landlord's game and we think it's really cool. We'd like to buy it from you. And that's fine, right? Like Lizzie made her cash. She got her check. She was properly compensated for something she had single-handedly invented. Oh, hold on. Um, what's that? Oh, right. Okay. So I'm hearing something different from our legal team, which is that Parker Brothers actually only offered Lizzie a flat 
sum for her invention. An embarrassingly low flat sum of just $500. For perspective, that's just over $10,000 in today's money. Some sources say that Monopoly has grossed over $1.5 billion in sales since its release. That $500 sum covered the Landlord's Game, the rights to the Landlord's Game, as well as the rights to two other games that Lizzie had invented, so that Parker Brothers could own the full legal rights to Monopoly and any spinoffs. They literally went to Lizzie and bought like her catalog of her brain. Despicable. It's unclear whether the Parker Brothers misrepresented the deal or whether Lizzie misunderstood it. But of course, she accepts the offer. And she was enthusiastic about the offer because she had always wanted to spread this anti-monopoly message to a broader audience. This was her chance. And she was so thrilled. Lizzie had once said that this game was, and I quote, a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. The goal is the same as the human race seems to have, i.e. the accumulation of wealth. Basically, the point of it all was that when people play the game, they can see just how dangerous a monopoly can be. And they also see that after the game, everybody like hates each other. Like, oh my God, have you played Monopoly? We all get into fights. We like argue. I've played this game with my family who I love more than anything. And I've gotten into like verbal arguments with them because it's brutal. It's about money. It's about monopoly. And her whole concept was like, you guys will play the Monopoly version first. You'll see how messed up this is. So then you'll go on to play the other version of Monopoly, which has basically been like written out of history entirely. This other version of the Landlord's Game with these other rules was basically the anti-Monopoly version where everyone would work together at the game and end up much happier. Everyone's wealth was everyone's wealth. And she was so excited to share that with the world. And her concept was literally robbed from her for a measly $500, 10K in today's money, and a slap in the face, essentially, because they just like forgot her entire message so conveniently. Mm-hmm. So with Lizzie legally out of the way, Parker bros were like, Darrow, my dude, you're a genius. Go ahead and earn your patent for Monopoly, which he did in December of 1935, and neither he nor Parker Bros ever mentioned the Landlord's Game in any of their marketing. Again, you could only play the Monopoly circuit. Lizzie's entire like uh-huh. ethos for the game, this anti-Monopoly path, was completely written out of the gameplay, making her message like basically obsolete. So all around her, she's reading constant media coverage of the genius Charles Darrow and the monopoly craze that every family is obsessed with. And worst of all, of course, this new game completely defeats the entire point of her game. If the game was only the monopoly side and not the anti-monopoly side, there was quite literally no point as far as she was concerned. And so by 1948, Lizzie McGee died in relative obscurity, a widow without children and very few friends. Neither her headstone nor her obituary mentioned her role in the creation of one of the biggest board games of all time, Monopoly. One of her last jobs was at the U.S. Office of Education, where her colleagues knew her only as an elderly typist who talked from time to time about inventing games. She never received any royalties from the creation of Monopoly. 
It would take another 20 years after her death for the world to begin talking about Lizzie in any way again, when an unrelated lawsuit against Monopoly unearthed her name publicly for the first time. But that leads us to one major question. If all of this was public knowledge, why is it that over a hundred years since she created the Landlord's Game, Lizzie McGee still isn't a household name? A lot of that has to do with Parker Brothers' reluctance to even acknowledge Lizzie's existence in any meaningful way. Parker Brothers was bought and absorbed into the game company Hasbro in 1991, before eventually being dissolved altogether. And even today, Hasbro still downplays Lizzie's role in the creation of Monopoly. This part is crazy. In 2015, The Guardian wrote an article about Lizzie McGee's lost history and obviously requested comment from Hasbro. They simply responded, quote, Hasbro credits the official Monopoly game produced and played today to Charles Darrow. The Guardian also pointed out that at that time, you could find a timeline of Monopoly's history on Hasbro's website, and this timeline conveniently began in 1935 with Charles Darrow. Now, if you tried to find that timeline on the Hasbro site today, it has been deleted. Incriminating. Incriminating. Hasbro has never officially credited Lizzie. Not once. The biggest question is, like, why? Obviously, like, why would you not credit this woman once? I mean, basically, this story is all public. We we found all of this on the Internet, right? We're not like digging deep into anyone's like we're not like paying anyone at Hasbro to give us the nitty gritty on like what's going on with Lizzie McGee. Like, this is all stuff that you can find publicly. Mm-hmm. And they're just like blatantly lying, like actually just lying. Well, They're not lying technically because in Mm, the minutia, in the nitty gritty, Lizzie never actually invented the game Monopoly. She invented the landlord's game, right? And she did sell the rights to her game, to essentially her intellectual property, over to Charles Darrow. So he technically created the game Monopoly by cutting out a portion of her game. But like, it's literally only in the technicalities There would be absolutely nothing lost to adding somebody like Lizzie to a timeline, to a pamphlet included in a board game, when it's the truth. You are right. You are right. That is actually like factually, actually factually what happened. I think that it stings so much more too, though. Like, yes, it sucks that a woman's invention was fully ripped off. And that her name was replaced by a man who made up a sob story about how he invented this game and yada, yada, yada. That all sucks. It really does. I think that the reason that it crawls under my skin so much is that Lizzie had such a clear message of what she wanted this game to represent, what it meant for her. And it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure like maybe this is why they don't include her on anything. That her message was not just like lost. It was like it was bulldozed. So now we know a hundred years later, essentially about Lizzie, but she's still definitely not like notable, I guess, in history, not widely talked about. We understand legally, I guess, why Hasbro doesn't have to mention her, why the Parker brothers never had to mention her, and why all of this is not like illegal, I suppose, and why they're able to get away with what they're able to get away with, basically erasing her out of history. But why has this woman remained nameless to everyone outside of that even? And there are a few things to consider. 
politics being one of them. Lizzie was, at the time, a radical leftist feminist who wanted to teach children about single tax theory, which could and probably would act as a gateway drug into learning about Georgist and Marxist politics. It's a lot easier to sell the bootstrap myth of Charles Darrow than it is to explain that politics are often under-discussed in mainstream avenues. And this leads to another point. Lizzie was a strong and independent woman who invented something in 1903 among the minority of women at the time, actually, who held patents at that. And she was basically swindled by a board game company who had their own male face to promote it front and center. I just can't imagine that in like the 1930s that Parker Brothers was going to be putting the face of a woman on a board game. You know what I mean? Like, at the time, I don't think anyone really cared about that success story. They cared much more about a man who made it through the Depression and was just providing for his family by making up this crazy, cool board game. They wrote Lizzie out of history because it was less interesting and less marketable. I am glad we got to talk about this today. It was something, mm -hmm. again, I did not know. I've never heard of. So if we can do mm -hmm. our tiny part in bringing justice to the world of Monopoly, the otherwise cutthroat and evil world <laughs> yeah. of Monopoly and capitalism, hey, here we are. We want to know what you guys at home think. Would you have played the original Landlord's game? Because honestly, I think we would have. Mayhaps a game night is in our future. Somebody certainly needs to remake it with the original rules. Why do you think that Lizzie was essentially written out of the history books? Let us know all over social media by using hashtag gruesome twosome. We would love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening. We are once again your hosts, Loie and Eleanor, also known as the gruesome twosome, and we have loved this deep dive into the world of internet urban legends with all of you. You can find all episodes of the podcast, Internet Urban Legends, for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to follow the podcast so we can continue bringing you a new disturbing mystery each and every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lowybug and at Snitchery and support our show by following at Parcast on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Stay gruesome, friends. Internet Urban Legends is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler from Parcast, Slash Management, and Ed Simpson, Fanny Baudry, and Leah Sutherland from Wheelhouse DNA. Sound design by Ron Shapiro, with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. It is produced by Jonathan Ratliff, Gemma Waters, John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Chelsea Parker, and is associate produced by Gitu Meira and Tracy Levy. Research and script writing provided by Jed Bookout. And we're your hosts, Loie Lane and Eleanor Barnes, a.k.a. The Gruesome Twosome. Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, Ramirez. You know the names, but do you know the whole terrifying story? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, take a horrific journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Some were charismatic, others were calculated, but all of them were disturbingly deadly. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.